Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Before we jump in, we want to thank the Cosmos community for their sponsorship in making this episode possible. There are several projects building inter-blockchain communication protocols, but there's one that's currently built. Cosmos.network is on a mission to link every blockchain. Well-known projects like Terra, Band, Kava, and Secret use Cosmos and the Cosmos Hub to connect to every other chain in their network. The Cosmos Hub is completed and launched, and you could visit Cosmos.network today to check it out. The Cosmos Hub brings us that much closer to Web 3.0 and we thank the Cosmos community for sponsoring the Delphi podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. I help run uh, Delphi Ventures, also host the pod. And today I'm really excited to have on G Money, who is, at this point, you're kind of famous, man, in the NFT world. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, just a, a little bit. I, I'd like, yeah. You know, I, I always it's a, good, of, it's a good place to be at. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely fun and interesting. Uh, I I thought I would be like a quote unquote NFT influencer at some point, but I thought it would take me like a year to get there. So the fact that I that I am where I am now uh, so soon, it, it's just happening. And I guess that just speaks to crypto, right? Like just how fast everything moves in the space. It really does, man. So when exactly? Like, I mean, I feel like you bought this punk, you made a crazy name for yourself on Twitter with, you know, your views on NFTs in the space. When did you actually get started in crypto? When did you actually buy your punk? And give us a little bit of the backstory. Yeah, so um, I was involved in crypto in 2017. Uh, I caught the mid to late uh, ICO uh, boom. And in, uh, in, the first quarter, in the first quarter of 2018, I was like, blockchain tech is really good. Blockchain tech is the future, but it's still too early. So I sold anything that I had liquid and I was like, I'll be back thinking it would be like five to seven years before something got built. Cause I was using the, the dot com bubble as my parallel. So, you know, it, it was really like, it was probably like five, somewhere between five and 10 years before I'd say the promises of the dot com boom finally came to fruition. So I, I did that and I, I went away from crypto. I, I come from traditional finance. I'm, I'm an equity trader. I've been doing that for the last 15, 20 years. And, uh, you know, I had some, some projects that I invested in in 2017 that finally became started unlocking in, in mid to uh, early to mid 2020 last year. And so uh, as those tokens were unlocking, I got involved in DeFi and I was like, oh my God, like they built some really cool stuff. And, you know, I started going down the rabbit hole in DeFi and it wasn't until really like August, September when DeFi summer cooled down that I really started looking into NFTs. Right. And, um, you know, and that it really started uh, was at the first day of quarantine. Right. Uh, On the first day of quarantine, I bought a PlayStation 
I hadn't played a video game in over 10 years, uh, but I knew the only way I was going to survive quarantine was with video games. Netflix alone wasn't going to cut it. So at that point, I downloaded Fortnite because I wanted to hear what I wanted to see what everybody was talking about. I download it. I start playing with my friends. I play with their nephews who are like a 10, 11, 12 years old. And the first thing these kids ask me is, what skins did you buy? I'm like, skins? Like, that's stupid. I'm not buying any skins. They don't give me any special powers. Like, why do I need it? And like, fast forward like two or three weeks and I'm buying like all the skins that I possibly can. And uh, it was at that point that I realized that digital assets are the future, right? Because like this kid is 10 years old today, but in, in 10 years, he's going to have his own disposable income and he's totally okay with digital ownership. So I was like, there's this massive super cycle coming of digital assets that, you know, it's just not totally evident yet. And this was before I even knew what an NFT was. And I was like, you know, I got to find a way to like take advantage of this somehow. And it, it's funny, me and my best friend were, were actually playing a ton of Fortnite at the beginning of quarantine. And you know, we would we would laugh about how unproductive we were doing, we were being, and maybe like we should be doing something more productive. But like, funny enough, is like when I did learn about NFTs in the fall, I I I would have definitely gotten there because I, I think I had the framework for it. But I think it might have taken me a little longer to understand it. So when I saw NFTs, I was like, oh, I get this right, and it it happened really quickly because of that. And you know, like when when I started going down the rabbit hole on, on NFTs. Uh, people started pitching me punks, and I was like, "No, no, I want like the I want the next crypto punks. I, I don't want punks. Punks are too expensive." At the time, they were like fifteen. I think the floor is around fifteen hundred bucks. And um, yeah, as, as I spent more time on crypto Twitter, on Discord, on Telegram, I realized that like some of the most OG people that knew what they were talking about, that were the most successful people in the NFT space, were you know they had punks as their avatars. And I was like, yeah, this is your skin, you know, and if, if, if you wear, it's, it's almost like a designer, a designer brand, right? Like you wear certain brands, certain brands say different things about the users, right? About the people that wear them. And that's the kind of the way I saw it, right? Is like, oh, like if I have a crypto punk uh, as my avatar, what does that say about me? It says that one, I'm pretty successful considering the fact that I have to spend a significant amount of money on, on a punk on this picture. But then two is like, I understand crypto three is I've been around for a long time. So it's like, I think it was just a convergence of a lot of different things. So once I like got it, you know, I started, I bought my first punk in, in, uh, December, uh, which I actually just sold this morning, uh, was the zombie. And then I was just looking, I was waiting for an ape, uh, and about like a month later, uh, there was an ape that, that came for sale. He kept coming low offer and you know, I, I contacted the seller. Uh, we got a deal done like within like five or 10 minutes and I bought it and I wrote my thread on Twitter. And uh, I guess the rest is, is history at this point. But yeah, like it, it went viral on, on crypto Twitter. And, you know, it that's kind of how I started building my brand. That's incredible, man. I mean, the, the timing doesn't link up perfectly, but I remember everyone selling their Uniswap airdrop to buy a PS5. <laughs> Meanwhile, you bought a PS4 and, you know, bought something that was worth well, well beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I, you know, like I think what happened with punks was inevitable. It was definitely going to happen. But I do think that I threw a lot of gasoline on that fire at the beginning of this year and kind of explained it in a way that maybe some people had it 
been able to understand up until that point. How do you think through, I mean, you, you open this with, you know, hey, I want the next punk, I want the next best thing. And I think we've seen that out, seen that play out a lot in crypto where, you know, people get involved with Bitcoin, they want the next big thing, they go to Ethereum, and now people are looking at other chains like Cosmos. And, you know, some a lot of people are just doubling down and staying on Ethereum and getting into DeFi. But it seems the reverse in NFTs where the originals are the scarcest, right? Like people don't want the next thing, they want the original. And having more NFTs just makes those originals even more valuable. I guess, how do you think about punks with just the proliferation of a million different types of NFTs today? Yeah, so I, that's that's a really good question. And like the way I look at it is, and, and this is why I think I'm such, I've been such a huge advocate for punks, right? Is like, if I can convince you as to why punks are valuable, being the first NFT project on Ethereum of significance, being on-chain generative art, and like, you know, and how important they are for the history of, of NFTs, then at that point, you know, whether or not you decide that it's worth the price is, is besides the point. I just want you to understand that people could find value in it, right? And then you can decide how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, right? Like if I want to, uh, to show you on some new project, like, you know, there has to be like a good, a good use case for it and, and a good reasoning behind it. But, you know, I have like, the way I thought about it was that, you know, Punks are historically significant so that besides using it as your avatar, you know, if there is a world where uh, crypto art is is part of the mainstream in the future, uh, there's probably a wing in some museum, in some major museum like the MoMA or, you know, the Guggenheim or, or big museums around the world where there's a crypto art wing. And if there's going to be a crypto art wing, there's probably going to be a crypto punk in there, right? There's going to be like these really early Genesis projects. Uh, that people uh, wanted wanted to be involved with, right? Because that was the start of it all. So, like to me, even like when you had like all the all the copies come out uh, over the last few months of you know people doing their own version of the punks. To me, that just validates the thesis that much more, right? Like you people don't buy fake handbags of bad brands; they buy fake handbags of the the highest brands possible, right? Because to me, it's like that's you know imitation is is the highest compliment. I really like that. Yeah, I'm excited for museums to have it. I guess just thinking about the punk, though, when you bought it, are you expecting the punk itself to have utility within the metaverse? Like, are you expecting to show this off in, you know, VR museums and potentially lend it out and add capabilities to it over time? Or to you, is this a scarce kind of digital asset and you don't really care if there's additional functionality down the line? Uh, so I, I do think that there's going to be a, a ton of of use, use cases around it down the road. I mean, I think we've, we've, we started to see the beginning of it, right? Where uh, punk owners got a Meepit uh, airdrop to them. Uh, the artifact guys did the punk sneakers where you had to be a punk owner in order to redeem them. And I, I think you're just, you're probably going to see more and more of that. Kind of like what you saw in DeFi over the summer where if certain wallets had interacted in governance on certain contracts or yield farm or done like, things that maybe a uh, protocol finds valuable. I think you're going to see the same thing with punks in the sense that, you know, they're probably, it's probably one of the most, the strongest group of collector bases in NFTs, right? Where it's almost, it's, I, I don't want to say it's tribal because people, I think in the NFT space are super welcoming and willing to help others out. But it's like, you know, you, you have this core group of collectors that if they, you know, if they like your project and, and get in there, they, you know, it could, it could help 
the project uh, rise to prominence faster than than if they didn't go grassroots, right? So to me, I think you're going to see more of that going forward. But I don't think like my my initial case for for punks was never that, right? It was you know even though we're sitting in front of a computer screen now more because of COVID and obviously as the digital as the digital future approaches, people are still going to be human. Humans are still going to be humans in the sense that we still want a social status signal. We still want to show our individuality. Like we still want to do all these things that make us unique. And like, we're going to find different ways to display that. Right. And like, you know, changing your profile picture is just one of those ways that people will do it. That's awesome. Caller, man. Yeah. And I guess for those that might be new to NFTs, I want to stay in the weeds with you on this, but I have to ask, like, what's the best pushback you've given to people that say, hey, I'll just screenshot that NFT and use it as my profile picture? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't really like the, the first, the only times I really had it, uh, the pushback was really like when I first bought it, when people are like, I can screenshot it. And like my, my response was like, please do like screenshot it and make it your, <laughs> your profile picture. Cause like, that's literally free advertising for me. Right. Cause like nobody's going to pay you uh, for your screenshot, but like you can prove that I own the original, right? That's like saying like, you know, Andy Warhol screen printed uh, the Campbell soup can, right? Uh, I think one of the first ones that uh, that he ever made, the last time it went for sale was at auction, like I think almost 10 years ago, it went for $70 million. This is a screen printed poster. You can buy a screen print, the same exact screen printed poster in better condition on online today for like 20 bucks. So like why like why is it that that one's not worth as much as the original right because there's provenance that Andy Warhol made that one right and so like to me it's like you have the provenance on chain that I own the original sure you can take a screenshot of it sure you can make it your profile picture but nobody's gonna pay you for it whereas people will people humans in general like the original the original um edition right they don't like the duplicates you know and and we see that in pretty much every aspect of collectibles, right? Like you've seen that in like magic cards, you've seen that in Pokemon cards, you've seen that in baseball cards where the the more rare something is and the closer it is to being the original run, the more it's valued. So like to me, like that that was always like the pushback that I would say. And I, I, I do say I, I have that conversation less and less now because I think people are are totally beginning to understand it more and becoming more accepting of it. Now I'm with you there. I it definitely I like your strategy. And I'm definitely hearing it less. And I guess just as a corollary to that, just dealing with people in the real world, I mean, what's the reception been from the traditional world? Right? I mean, like we've seen a lot of pushback from like traditional art collectors. I get I get it's a different generation, but whenever you see something that's collectible in the real world, you just run into all the issues, right? Like baseball cards we saw overprinting the famous wine semi-A movie on Netflix, you know, the guy was putting labels on fake wine bottles. <laughs> you know, you have just the provenance, which, you know, people buying art they think is real and you're duping all these quote experts. Um, when in reality, I could just go on Etherscan and check that your punk's real. Like, why do you think it's so hard for people in the traditional world to just understand the benefits of NFTs? I, I think a lot of it has to do with age and being, um, being okay with a more digital life, right? Like when I explain the concept of an NFT to anybody over the age of 30, uh, they have, sometimes they have, for the most part, a hard time understanding it. But when I explain an NFT to anybody in the age of 18, 
their first response is like, this is awesome. How do I do it? Right. Because, you know, they, they, you know, if you're 18 years old, you've grown up with an iPhone in your hand, you know, you've grown up uh, with Netflix, with all these digital services at your fingertips. Whereas I think as you get older, you know, it's, it's harder one to change like consumer behavior uh, because it's more ingrained. But two is like, you know, if you grew up analog and like email came into you while you were an adult, like you, you use email obviously now because it's very convenient, but it's probably not like the thing you most feel comfortable with. Right. But if you've been in front of a computer since you were the age of like, you know, I, I have friends with like kids that are two years old and like they have to take away the iPad. Right. Because all the kids want to do is watch YouTube. Right. Because and, and for better or worse, but that's just kind of the way it is. So I think you, the younger the younger somebody is, the more digitally native they are. And like to me, it's it's just the fact that you know the older generation isn't as digitally native as you know the younger generations. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, we grew up playing Pokemon on Game Boys, so I tell people, you know, you could own the only Charizard. Like, it just clicks so easily with people. Mm-hmm. I guess. Do you care if they get involved? Like, do you care if your punk is displayed in, like, let's say, the MoMA or or something? like super legit museums around the world. Cause I'm starting to think it doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. So, you know, the validation is great, but at the end of the day is like the thing that I, I think is amazing about crypto in general is that like, it's disrupting uh, the old world, right? Like the old gatekeepers and it's allowing people to, to kind of express themselves freely. And to me, I would much rather have adoption by, by the younger generation that like sees the value of it, value of it and is willing to to be a participant rather than trying to convince somebody that, you know, that there's value here, right? Because the, the future is like the younger generation. So the validation would be great, but, you know, I do think, and we've, we saw it, right? Like it's, you know, punks were in Miami, punks were in New York City, they're going to London next. And like, you know, it's the punk community that's doing it on themselves, right? Like they're the ones that bootstrapped this and and made it happen. So like, to me, that's way more exciting than than being displayed in a high-end gallery or, or museum. Yeah, it's funny. I was riding bikes with my girlfriend the other day, and we saw a couple of punks. It was along the water in New York. And I was like, damn, you know, we're doing a fun with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, to, to point to your example, like I saw your tweet thread on Christie's and them auctioning off a couple of punks. I mean, they really botched that whole, that whole sale. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Uh, you know, Noah, I thought wrote a good response. Personally, I I, I would have curated it a little differently. Uh, but you know, I don't come from the traditional art world. But uh, I mean, I, I thought he, his response was pretty solid. And, you know, hopefully we can all learn from this going forward. And, you know, I think give NFTs the spot that they deserve alongside, you know, other classic works of art. I like that. And let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, building on so you have a punk, I mean, you have a bunch of different NFTs at this point, but what are the other types of NFTs that get you excited? Like we're obviously like full disclosure investors in Axie and Alluvium and a couple others. And like they have those gaming projects have native tokens that accrue fees, but there's also like a plethora of like specific NFTs you can use within those worlds. You know, we have things like access tokens, like friends with benefits and others. Like what are the other types of NFTs or tokens that kind of get you excited? And, and also, which ones do you think are, you know, less interesting? Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, like everything gets me excited 
because the way I view it is everything in the real world is an NFT, right? So there is so much industry and commerce that goes on in the real world that will eventually come on chain the more digital our lives go. So to me, it's like there's not one specific vertical that I think will succeed over the others because, you know, because there's so many different verticals, right? Like, you know, a mortgage is an NFT. A car loan is an NFT. A house is an NFT, right? And all these things are are very different, right? But they're all amazing. And they're all like these amazing industries, right? So like when I when I realized that, and I realized it, I feel like early on in my like discovery of NFTs, and I was like, wow, like art is just literally the first the first industry that's getting dis- disrupted. And obviously it's it's been definitely for the best. You know, creators are are making more money, they're interacting more with their community, which is amazing. But like this is definitely not going to be the last industry that gets disrupted, right? And so that's kind of that was kind of the genesis of our fund, right? Because as I was talking to you and and some of the other guys at Delphi where it was like dude, like the future is so bright and there's so many cool things that are coming and people don't even know yet. Right. And so to me, like to say, I I think one vertical is, is better than others or one is worse than others. It's like, it, it, you know, I, I always tell like people that hit me up and like that I talk to is like, you can be as creative as you want with an NFT. And that like is the beauty of it. Right. Cause you can be as creative as you want in the real world, right? Like, so, you know, if you think of something cool or some new mechanism uh, and you want to, you want to integrate it, like, that's great. You know, like, you know, you can change like how NFTs are used and we're, we're kind of seeing that already, right? Where, uh, where initially, and you've seen it with like drops where initially, like, it was just like, we're going to drop art and then we're going to drop art and music or, you know, uh, just now it's starting to include, you know, the latest with Gary V's drop a couple of weeks ago where it's like some sort of interactive experience with Gary, right? And it's like, these things are going to evolve and there's going to be a different market and a different set of customers for each one of them. But that's the beauty of it. It doesn't need to be like purely defined one way or the other. Hey, G, I guess one other question for you though, it's just like, you know, we see a lot of high profile artists and, you know, famous people drop NFTs just like as a cash grab, like don't really expect them to stick around and add a lot of value for their communities. How do you feel about that? And I guess, how do you educate people on the merits of NFTs when you have these people with such mega platforms kind of diluting the value? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting, right? Because it's like, if you take the crypto equivalent of it, that's like, you know, somebody like pumping a token and dumping it on their followers, right? But it's probably even worse because somebody that is the person that's most likely to buy like a celebrity's cash grab NFT is their most ardent followers, right? So I don't know. It, it's it's really interesting. I think you like started to see a lot a big slowdown on it uh, in the space, uh, just because I think people are realizing like that's kind, that's not what you want to do, right? Like the coolest thing I think about NFTs for creators is the sense of community that you can build without and and cutting out like a lot of the middlemen that like you know get between you and your fans. So like. You know, whenever like I talk to to people that are thinking about NFTs or want to enter in the space, that's like one of the first things I tell them. It's like, listen, if you want to to do an NFT drop and then leave, that's fine. Like it's your prerogative, but like you're, it's not going to go over well, right? Like there's going to be no residual value there in the NFTs, other than the fact that like it's on chain, right? But like 
there really is no value there, right? Like if you're going to build the community around it and you're going to engage and interact with your fans, then like that's that's how your your work is going to hold value, right? And I, I think it's just trying to approach it from a different angle and a different way. And I think they just need to be educated, right? Because I think when, when people first heard of NFTs and they see this, they're like, the numbers are really eye-popping. And, uh, you know, at, at this point now, it's like, as, as it gets more and more saturated, you have to create like a better product for your fans, you know? And I think that that's, that's what we're going to see a lot of that. Just probably better content and better, a more thought out process coming along. I'm with you there. I mean, one of the things I struggle with is just the NFTs that unlock real world experiences like, you know, hey, come to a baseball game or, or hey, you know, get access to a concert. I kind of feel like it's a bit forced, like, you know, permission blockchains or permission instances of Ethereum back in 2017 and 2018, where we're trying to grapple with like the old world and the new world. It just seems like seems like NFTs fit in so well within the metaverse and crypto sphere and less so in like the real world. Are you bullish on the connection of NFTs in the real world or are you somewhat bearish? Uh, I'm bullish on it because I, I think that like, because it's not going to be like an off on switch, right? There's going to be um, like waves of adoption, right? Because it's not going to be like where, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to live a fully digital life overnight. There's going to be a gradual increase of digital, of people spending their lives on in a digital realm increasing over time. So like, I think you're going to have a lot of this like, AR-ish type adoption, right? Where it's like, you know, some of it's in the metaverse, some of it's in the physical world. But, you know, as people become more and more comfortable with it, I think more you'll see more and more of, of this stuff happening in the digital realm, right? Like who wants to do a Zoom call with their favorite celebrity? Like I'd rather go out to eat with them. But I think at some point in the future, I don't know when, but like, you know, would it be cooler to just hang out in Somnium space and like, you know, go to a party together? Maybe, you know, when that's more socially acceptable or, or it happens more often, uh, then that will be the experience. But I think for now is like, as people get more comfortable with it, you're going to have the interaction of the physical and the digital. That's pretty cool. And I mean, one of the other things I'm struggling with is there's so much hype, like to our, you know, I guess some of our discussion already, like it's really hard. I mean, you and I talk to private deals, private teams. We also see a lot of the public deals, a lot of the new NFTs out there. And I mean, one of the really hard things is just judging how viable an NFT is. And a lot of that comes back to the community around it, you know, and the story and the narrative. How do you quickly judge the strength and longevity of a community and an NFT with so much going on in the space? Um, you know, I, I think one of them is like, how active is the Discord, right? Like, or, or also who's in the Discord, right? Like I've been a lot around long enough that like I know who who are like good community members, who are good collectors, you know, who are people that aren't like pump and dumpers, let's say. Uh, yeah, you know, it's there are a ton of projects coming out, right? But it's really just each one is going to talk to like a different sector of of the population, right? For the same reason that you have a lot of different clothing brands, right? Different brands say different things about who you are as a person, right? And and people want to express themselves uh, in the real world. It's off very much often with clothes, but like I think we're going to see more and more in the digital realm that people are going to be expressing themselves with their NFTs. Like, hey, like you know, I met this person; they seem pretty cool. And then you look at their their wallet and their NFTs, and you, 
you're like, all right, well, this person likes this and this person likes that. It's almost like, you know, when, when you meet somebody and you like go on their Instagram and kind of just see like a peek into their life, right? Like I think that that, um, that your somebody's like NFT wallet or NFT gallery will become that peek into their lives. That's a, that's a really good point. And, and apologies if I miss it, but when you see a new project though, with like a new founder, like it's just so hard. Like, you know, like we saw me bit sell out overnight. Like, you know, I see like a new, like there's so many different communities out there. Like I'm trying to figure out what's important and what isn't right. Like I guess to our earlier point, it just makes punks more valuable, but I guess what would make you feel comfortable in buying an NFT and not being able to sell it for five years or, or let's say a year because it's crypto time. Like what would you want to see in the community? Um, well, I, I think MeBits is a little different, right? Because it wasn't like a new, a new team or a new founder, right? These guys have made two of the most important projects on chain already in, in, in crypto punks and in autoglyphs. So like, you know, I'm willing to take that bet. I'll take that bet, you know, 10 times out of 10, right? Uh, I'll buy the, I'll ape into that project. When, when new projects, when I see new projects come out, like I, I, you know, I, I generally don't ape that much, right? Because it's like, to me, it's like, I want it to stand the test of time. I want it to, you know, I'd rather pay a little higher when I see that the community has been built around it rather than me aping in, not really knowing enough about it. Right. Unless like the founder or the team has done something really cool. Right. Like if like Ava stars were to do something like a new project, like I would probably ape because like, you know, the founders of, of Avastars have like proven themselves out to be like pushing uh, the limits of like what NFTs can do and what they can be. That's a really good point. And I guess just playing devil's advocate, the space moves and innovates so fast, especially in the NFT side. Um, I mean, you and I see this every day, but is there anything that could come out that you think will just technologically hurt the value of your punks? I mean, the scarcity, I get that, but what would keep you up at night on punks losing value? What, what are the risk factors for you? I mean, I guess the biggest risk factor is like the contract getting hacked, right? Uh, just like pretty much anything in crypto where if if it could get hacked or maybe uh, something happens where you can no longer prove the provenance, right? That to me, those are probably the biggest risk factors. But, you know, outside of that, like, you know, if, if a new NFT project comes out, you know, I'm not really concerned about that. Uh, or, you know, so, or, you know, moving more to the metaverse, like this is still like, I think to me, this is still a really big piece of crypto history uh, that will exist there no matter what. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And I guess, are you at all concerned about the hype cycle, right? Like, I feel like interest in NFTs grew exponentially right and now i feel like we're seeing a little bit of a cooling off right now but obviously you're closer to the space i guess my question is like do you think nfts are cooling off and then two you know are you one to go shopping if there were be a bear market or do you think it's kind of you know let's see how everything fares if that were to happen um yeah so i i do think we're probably uh in a cool off period on the hype cycle but like to me that's like super bullish and you always hear this argument in in crypto right where it's like people are are bullish and like prices go up for a reason right because like the narrative is really good and people see into the future of what's coming and you know it's reflected in price i think that um if if we re, if we go into a bear market like you know i have a list of assets that i definitely want to buy right like punks is definitely at the top of that list 
that I would definitely accumulate into a, a bear cycle, you know, and, and there's a couple other projects that, you know, I, I don't want to leak too much alpha because I want to be able to buy them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I, I, to me, it's just super bullish, right? It's like, I see NFTs as being the way that the world adopts crypto, right? Because you take a look at a project like NBA Top Shot and, you know, the user doesn't need, doesn't even need to necessarily know that they're buying a something, an NFT on a crypto platform, right? You know, it's not as decentralized as maybe I'd want it to be at this moment, but I know they're working towards it and I'm willing to give the team that time, right? But like the number one thing for me is like, how awesome is the user experience uh, for the consumer, right? Because it's like, if if it's going to be really cumbersome, then adoption is going to lag, right? And you kind of see that with DeFi a little bit, right? Where it's like, I, I'm a, I love DeFi, I'm a big user of it, but there is a learning curve in learning how to, you know, work MetaMask and, you know, how to send a transaction and like, you know, people being scared of like, oh, did I lose this forever? And like, what's going on? But like, the closer we can get to that Web2 seamless experience on a Web3 platform, the more adoption is going to come, right? And, you know, NFTs and collectibles and art, that's something that like humans inherently understand because we've been doing it since the beginning of time. So to me, it's like, that's that's what's coming, right? And like this NFT hype cycle is just more and more people realizing that it's going to come. I like that. No, I I would definitely go punk shopping in a bear market. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not saying we're anywhere close to that, but uh, I, I definitely agree. And you mentioned NBA Top Shot. What's your take on NFTs and other chains? Like, you know, I always felt that DeFi would be very hard to do in other chains unless you had a new design space, but we're seeing that play out, right? Like, you could build faster and cheaper apps on Solana, right? But you kind of lose that ETH community. What do you think about launching NFTs and other chains? I'm not totally sure what you would differentiate on other than, I guess, cheaper transaction speeds and maybe some customizable security. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of with you on that, right? Where it's like, I think there's... because and, and there's definitely like a range, a gamut, right? Because like the same way, like in the real world, you'll have like a high-end store, a mid-tier store and a low-end store, uh, and they target different users, right? Like if I'm selling a piece of art and it's, you know, a million dollars, do I necessarily care about what the transaction costs on our, on, on art on ETH? Most likely not. But if I'm selling like a baseball card pack for like five bucks, like I can't have the transaction cost be five times the amount of the pack. So like, I do think that like each one has like their, their time and their place. You know, we're seeing a, a ton of L2s come out and a ton, a ton of other chains come out. And like, I think, you know, it, it's almost like you have to kind of wait on the sidelines for a little bit and let the ecosystem develop, right? Like you don't necessarily have to be uh, betting on, on, on them at this moment. And you can kind of just wait to see like how transaction volumes go over time and, you know, where the adoption comes, like who makes the, the best UI for, for new users and, and stuff like that. So uh, I do think that like ETH, kind of like the same way I feel like in DeFi, where it's like ETH will re- retain its like number one spot. But there will be like t- it's a time and a place for for other chains. I really like that, and I agree. It's just such layered risk to, you know, NFTs are just getting started. To make a bull case for them on another chain is kind of tough. Yeah. And you switching gears a bit. I've been waiting to talk about this because I wanted to get your other views first. But you know, we launched an NFT fund with you. I mean, I know all about it, but I want you to give the story about it. Um, I want you to share the focus, what you're looking for in deals. You know what types of projects should reach out to you? We'd love to talk more about the fund. 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, basically, you know, when, when I started talking with you guys and we were all bullish on the NFT space in general, uh, hype cycle or not, you know, a lot of it is, and I, I alluded to it earlier in, in the, in the interview is like, you know, everything is an NFT, right? So there's going to be so much stuff that is going to be built to facilitate trading NFTs, uh, building an ecosystem around NFTs. There's so much in- infrastructure that needs to get built that I was like, there, you know, and me coming from a financial background, like I saw it, right? And it's like art and collectibles is just one small use case. And, you know, this is going to be a, you know, multi trillion dollar market cap industry. Uh, so, like, I want to look for protocols that are going to help bring the future to today. Whether it be like in the metaverse, whether it be through a game, whether it be through like lending protocols, whether it be through fractionalization protocols, like you know, it's it's literally like the sky is the limit. You know, like the the coolest stuff that I see is like stuff that I didn't even think of until like I saw the pitch and I was like, wow, like that's a really novel idea that I didn't think about, and I could see why that's going to be useful in the future. You know, um, I take like a real world example where I always used to j- joke this with like my friends growing up is like, you know, everybody has like that, that rich friend that like is in their group. And like, you know, you find out what their dad did. And like, sometimes like a lot of times it was like something really obscure that like, you have no idea like that, that even existed as a business, let alone it would be a very lucrative business. So like, I kind of like see that in, in the NFT space and in like all spaces in general, where it's like, you know, there's going to be a lot of money to be made solving problems that not everybody thinks is is like super like on everybody's radar how do you compete for deals i guess on the nft side and i mean i know we're working closely with you so i'm I'm playing like the role of somebody new to this but you know like on the DeFi side like you want to compete on the value you could bring beyond money right money's cheap like you want to compete on how you can help the founders with strategy and token econ and exposure and a you know plethora of things how exactly do you get into an NFT deal per se and, and compete? Because there's just so much competition out there. So yeah, so I mean, I think one of that's I think that's one of the reasons we decided to stay small is uh, I think because we can be more of a a partner like to help a protocol grow, right? Like one of the things that I know people will reach out to me on is like one is like I was able to see the space a little clearer and a little faster than than most. So, and I use that same analysis when I invest in projects, right? It's like, I want to be investing in the guys that were building and working on NFTs, like, you know, over six months ago, you know, a year ago, two years ago or longer. And so I think that that's one of the things that I help bring is like, I I see the space, I see where it's going. Uh, I have proven that like, I can see where it's going uh, and I can help a project like kind of get to the critical mass of like, you know, integrate with the NFT community, uh, be able to introduce them to partners that I think will help them, right? Like I have really good relationships with a lot of different funds that I'm like, hey, look, I think this is something you might be interested in, right? Like, and, you know, put them in front of the right people that will help them succeed, right? Like I'm not just like kind of going in there just to collect the check and, you know, wait for the tokens or the equity or whatever. It's like, you know, I want to I wanna build and, and help a protocol succeed. I think coming from traditional finance, one of the things that like I love about crypto is how much of an impact you can have with, you know, and not have to have like an insane amount of money, right? Like 
if I owned a hundred million dollars worth of Tesla stock, there's zero percent chance that I get Elon Musk on the phone if I had like the the solution for like everlasting battery power, right? But the the amazing thing about crypto is like if I have a cool idea about like a protocol and like what I think they should do, I don't need to own the token. I can just sign into Discord and I could have a chat with the founders. And who knows? Maybe what I say makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but it can have like a lasting impact one way or the other. So like to me, that's kind of like what I want to do, right? I want to help these founders uh, get to help them achieve their vision and get to where they want to go. That's awesome, man. And when you're thinking through projects that you want to invest in, I mean, I think there's kind of like two camps where I've seen, you know, a ridiculous amount of money being made, right? Like very specific early NFTs on one side, and then two kind of like the well-known centralized picks and shovels players like OpenSea and you know the valuations that, that they're probably sporting on their rounds. You know, how do you kind of meet in the middle there, right? Like you want to invest in the infrastructure to facilitate NFTs, but you also probably don't want to go too centralized and play into the major valuations. So, I mean, what are you looking for in a deal? Because I mean, there's like appraisal deals, fractionalization deals, picks and shovels, new projects. Like, how do you kind of size up and curate what you're looking at? Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I try to talk to everybody to try to get an idea of, you know, what they're thinking and how they see the market. And like, the stuff that I find the most interesting is the people that are thinking, you know, five, 10 years into the future, right? Where it's like, it's not the the NFT project isn't just about art and collectibles, right? That's where we are today. But I, I envision a world where, you know, five, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, we have mortgages on chain, we have regionalized CMBS fully on chain indexes, right? And like, cool stuff like that. Those are all NFTs. And that infrastructure is going to be need, it's going to be needed to be built well in advance of those assets coming on chain. So like, to me, it's like, you know, it, I always look at like, what does the founder see? Like, what do they see as like the blue sky opportunity? And how do they want to, how do they want to get there? obviously within the framework of where we are now uh, with a path to like how to get there in the future. I love that. I mean, one of my questions was going to be when you're looking at one of these projects for the fund, you know, what's the first question you ask founders? And I mean, maybe beyond just the questions, but like, what do you get out of the founders that makes you extremely bullish? Like you mentioned earlier, you want founders that have been building for a while, but you know, is it something they say like, Hey man, you know, I also have a punk or, or, you know, Hey man, I also have X, Y, Z. Like what gets you like amped up when you talk to a founder? <laughs> um, wait, so basically you're saying if I tell them that they need to have a punk, they're going to go out and buy punks. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, you know, it's, it's just how they see the space. Right. And it's really how you, there's no one question I ask every founder, but I think it comes out through the conversations that, that we have and, you know, them, you know, in, in explaining the roadmap and what they see and how they see the space. And, you know, obviously everybody has a history, right? Everybody has a resume and just me being like, okay, what have you done in the past? You know, and like, how competent are you to kind of get to, you know, cause it's one thing to have the vision, but then it's the other to execute. Right. So it's like, it, it's, it's two very different things. And, you know, we're all just making calculated bets at this point. And, you know, betting on what we think is let maybe the best horse or the people that have like the best, um, the best economics in the tokens or, or, or like the best structure in, in how the mechanisms of everything work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's different for every project, 
I wouldn't say there's one thing that's like, you know, I'll be like, oh, like I really, I really love what this person's, you know, this is the one question I ask that if they answer it this way, like I'll definitely invest. It's like, you know, a lot of it is vision, technical knowledge, right? Cause it's like, you know, there, there's some aspects that like, I don't know enough of. And, you know, it, it's, I think that's the huge advantage of being part of Delphi is, you, you know, there's a lot of really smart people on the team that if I don't understand something, you know, I can bring somebody on and they'll be like, all right, cool. Like this is, you know, you can't, you can't BS everybody, right? Uh, if there's something that I can be BS on, you know, I'll, I'll try to get an expert in there to, to make sure that like, I understand it and I feel comfortable with it. But uh, ultimately, like, I love that. It's really just like, you know, what's the vision and what do I, how, what do I think are the odds of, you know, the founder, you know, completing that vision and getting there? Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. I love that we kind of have an army to ask questions to. Uh, hat tip to Anil for making that happen. And I guess just looking at the founders, though, I mean, like you talk about a resume, but like at the NFT surge is so new, right? It's not like I can go back like five years and be like, oh, you know, you built a you know, leading NFT exchange or, or site. Like it's just so it happens so fast. So you, you have to spot check people based on like what they've done in the past six months, not the past six years. Is that, does that get you comfortable? But even then I wouldn't say like, I just necessarily look at like somebody's last six months. Right. Cause like everyone's done work before then. Right. Like people could have come from, you know, traditional tech companies and like led big teams there. Right. It's like, it's not necessarily just what have you done in the NFT space? Cause you know, if, if that's the case, then, you know, I'd say most projects are, are out the door by, by that standard. Right. But it's more like, you know, what, what's your history of, of, you know, uh, completing projects that you work on? Like, you know, what's your standard of execution? Like, you know, if you're working at a big company and like, you know, you led some really big teams like that, that is a good resume, right? Whether it's in crypto or not. Yeah, no, you're right. A lot of that EQ and management style approach plays into this. So past work is, is really, really important. I guess the other thing to ask you is, so you launched the fund with us on Syndicate, uh, full disclosure, Syndicate's a portfolio company. Why did you decide to do it on Syndicate? Um, you know, it was just, it. you know, it, it's one of those things is like, again, like I want to push the space forward as much as possible. And I know Syndicate obviously isn't NFT focused, it's DeFi, but like, that's one of the ways like we push the space forward, right? We use the systems that we're building, right? Like, you know, I come from traditional finance. I, you know, everybody has used the bank. We all know how frustrating that can be at times. So it's like, you know, the faster we can get these protocols up to par with the experience of, you know, running something in the legacy system and making it better, the faster, you know, we're going to iterate a better, we're going to iterate better uh, versions of it faster. Right. So to me, it's like, it's really about pushing the space forward and like, you know, like let's bring on like the brave new world that that's coming that, you know, some legacy institutions are so afraid of. I love that. That's, that's really awesome. And I guess just switching gears a bit, what was like the worst NFT trade I, I guess you've made? I mean, I feel like at some point you, you probably start aping so many things that a lot of the, uh, the graveyard is probably filled with a lot of things that, that aren't too important. But are there any projects that you invested in on the NFT side or NFTs in particular that you thought were going to be a big deal, but frankly, you got wrong? Um... I'm trying to think like, I, I guess the trader in me, uh, I'm just used to like, if I have a bad trade, I, I reflect on it. I learn from it and I move on. So like, I, I just don't know if I'm, if I, uh, 
dwell on on past trades, but I, I I'd say for a little while. I think like in in let's say mid February to to the end to beginning of March, I was like aping into a lot of stuff, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, you know, this you know this is just me like trying to make a quick flip or or something, trying to play hype, and then I was like, you know what, like. Let me, I, I, I reevaluated and I'm like, I'd rather be buying, spending more and buying something of significance rather than like aping into like a random, like, you know, uh, celebrity drop that probably doesn't have any residual value. Yeah. Now I was thinking about the other day, like all the random, you know, Hey, I'll just grab a bag of this or a bag of that. Like that really adds up. <laughs> oh yeah. It definitely. And the worst part is like, it's not liquid. Right. So it's like, if all of a sudden you're like, you know, it's one thing to be in like an altcoin and you know, you're like, all right, well, this isn't working out the way I expected. You can generally, you, you have some liquidity to get out, maybe not at the prices you want, but like with NFTs, like you might look and there's like no bids, right? So it's like, you know, it's a, it's a very binary event. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right there. I mean, the other thing that comes into this is just like the pricing issue, right? Like we invested in Upshot, which basically kind of makes it so anybody can, is incentivized to like, share what they think an NFT is worth so that we don't just base the NFTs on their last sale price. And I also think, you know, really cool projects uh, like Fractional um, will also kind of help drive uh, accurate price for NFTs because more people have access to buying pieces of it and you can more accurately price it. Like, do you think pricing right now is an issue for NFTs? Pricing in the sense of what? Like, because like... I guess just... A- Appraisal, but like when I pull up Zapper, like I know exactly what my tokens are worth, right? Like when when I pull up like my NFTs, like some of my Gods Unchained cards, like I'm only seeing like basically the price I paid for them, just right. stuff. Um, I so I I think the thing is the pricing becomes an issue, right? And this is kind of like where is the ball going, right? Pricing is becoming an issue, and people want to get like real time appraisals and quotes on it because people want to start using them as collateral, right? Because then it becomes more useful. You can get a yield out of it if you can borrow money against it and like, let's say, yield farm with it. So like to me, it's like it's definitely an issue, right? And I think there are a lot of like smart teams working. I think the team, Nick and the team at Upshot, like are doing a cool, cool thing. And like we're gonna see how that plays out. And you know, fractionalization. I, I think one of the things with fractionalization that we've seen is that there isn't enough liquidity, right? Uh, on these fractionalized NFTs where you can't get a big position if you wanted to without moving the market too much, right? So I think that these are all issues that people will definitely solve. And I think as they solve them, the capital efficiency increases, right? So I think that uh, we're moving towards a world where, where this happens, right? Because like, you think about like the traditional art market and you know, if I wanted to get a loan against like, um, let's say a Monet that I had in my apartment, I could definitely get it. It would be expensive. You know, I'd have to get it appraised. I'd have to get it insured. But the transaction cost is is still, even though it's high, it's still low to the relative value of the painting. Whereas like, you know, if I had a $10,000 painting in my house, uh, it, I, I wouldn't be able to get a loan against it because, you know, the cost of getting it appraised and insured would probably be worth more than the painting is worth. So like, I think we're just going to start seeing that scale down to the lowest end where it becomes affordable for everyone, which is kind of like what, you know, we're doing, right? Is like kind of evening the playing field and giving these these tools that were once available only to the richest, most powerful people in the world available to everyone, right? And I think that's why you're seeing like this, this move towards all these different protocols, which, you know, at some point we're going to get it right. You know, uh, which iteration of it will it be? 
I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I'm trying to find the teams that I think are most likely to get it right. Yeah, I, I love that. And I mean, we're going to have Andy on a fractional who's also a part of the NFT fund, but I wanted to get your take on it. And I mean, I love his approach because I love how they put the pieces back together, but I don't want to share too much on that. I'll, I'll let him share what he wants mm-hmm. to uh, next week on the pod. But I guess, would you ever consider fractionalizing your own punk? I mean, you know, you get potentially better price, you can get some exit liquidity. Um, like, cause right now there's only probably a couple people, you know, just a handful of people around the world that would want your punk at a price that you're willing to sell it. Right. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that would want to, you know, quote ape in at, you know, for pieces of it. Yeah. So this, it's, it's really interesting. I, it's something that I think about a decent amount of time. Um, I spent a decent amount of time thinking about is, you know, would I fractionalize my, my punk? Most likely not. What I would probably be more interested in doing is maybe creating some sort of social token around my punk. Um, I haven't really thought about it extensively, but I do know that uh, we're we're in like a new paradigm where I think and like NFTs, NFT personalities are probably going to be way bigger than people think, and I think the upside that's going to happen is going to be way higher than most people think. Do you mean that in the sense of like your NFT? having its own personality, being able to go to like events, like things that we kind of envision in that crazy black mirror VR world of the future. Um, something along those lines. I, I think that like, you know, the, I don't think that there's any reason why we can't have an NFT influencer the same way we have a social media influencer on like Instagram or uh, TikTok or something, you know, where this, this um, NFT has its own personality, its own brand. Uh, it represents whatever the creator wants it to represent, and you know, people follow it, right? If enough, if it resonates with enough people, um, those people will be interacting with it uh, because it it has an experience that they want that they want to uh, to to be entertained by. You know, I love that. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out like how manual that is. Like, you know, do people go on a site and they say, hey? you know, G-Money, I want to borrow your punk for a day, I'll give you a yield. Or if it's like AI infused, where like, you know, your punk is out there, you know, doing its own thing of concerts and meet and greets, et cetera, and, and getting a yield or a mix of both. I, I don't know where we are in that level of technology right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to become more and more interactive over time, especially from like the stuff that I've seen of like people approach me with and, you know, talks that I've been having. And, you know, I, I think, I think like, I think this is a monster space. Uh, you know, in, and I think it's closer than many think. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And I guess one of my last kind of questions for you is just on L2s. I mean, there's a laundry list, like, you know, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, ZK Sync, you know, there's a bunch. And, you know, your point earlier is, is really important, right? Like I was trying to buy gods on chain cards um, over Christmas and, you know, I wanted to buy like $5 cards. It was like $6 in gas fees, right? So I would never buy them to play with them. How important are L2s to the NFT market? Again, I think it depends at like what what end of the spectrum, right? Because I think if you know for for high value uh, NFTs like punks, like I wouldn't want an L2 punk, right? Like I want my punk on Ethereum. That's where it was born. That's where it was made. That's where I want to transact on it, right? But like you know, there there will be use cases like you know your Wax, your Maddox, like you know your flows that like. Literally, you know, the transaction costs are lower, the throughput's higher, 
so that, you know, it, it allows for your everyday um, person to like, you know, do like millions of transactions a day or billions of transactions a day at scale. Right. So uh, I, again, I, I think it's like super early to, to pick like one horse in the race, right? Like you could have, you know, you know, maybe like flow becomes like the sports moments chain and, you know, uh, wax becomes like the video game chain. Like it, you can just, I, I think there's, the space is big enough. And I think down the road, ultimately people won't know like 20 years from now, I don't think people will be like, Oh, like I'm playing this game or I'm trading this asset and it's on this chain, right? Like we're not going to know what chain everything is on. Like right now we know because we're like in the process of building it and we need to know how everything integrates. But I think once like you have a more finalized version of all the products, like people won't, people won't even know that they're dealing in crypto. You know, it's going to be a very seamless experience. I love that. And I guess we're really early in the NFT space, right? Like when I look at an NFT on OpenSea, I could see the traits and I could see, you know, X percent of the group have this trait, X percent of that group. When do you think we get to a point when NFTs themselves start to trade on their like inherent value, I guess, right? Like based on their traits, based on their functionality, stuff like that. Like, I mean, Axies is a pretty clear example. Um, Alluvium is another clear example. You know, you're going to buy an Axie and, you know, you're going to be able to turn a yield on that depending on how you know strong it is, how rare it is, stuff like that. When do you think we actually get to a point when all of that stuff is like fundamentally priced? And, you know, it'd be interesting given your take, given you come from traditional finance. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think you have different types of assets, right? Because like, you know, what's the fundamental price of a crypto punk? You can't, you can't really base it on fundamentals, right? Like you can't DCF it with a spreadsheet, but you can DCF the yield that you get from an Axie or a, an Alluvium asset, right? Because you know like what your yield is, what you're gonna pay, and then you could DCF that to the the fair market value. But like I just think that like, you know, and also for art, right? Like you don't art is very subjective, right? Like in the traditional art world, people tell you, like, you know, pay whatever, you know, art is worth whatever people are willing to pay for it, right? There's no fundamental analysis on it, right? You can you can um compare it to, you know, to similar similar pieces and and you can do the same thing with NFTs and collectibles. But ultimately, it's like, you know, how scarce is something and how much do people value it, right? So, um, you know, maybe you start seeing a leg up in punks if like, you know, you can use them as collateral or you can use them for for yield, right? And it's like all of a sudden, you know, uh, a collectible that otherwise didn't throw off any free cash flow all of a sudden has some sort of yield that would add to the value of what's already there, right? So I, I think as you get more and more functionality and you're just going to have different mechanisms for, for pricing stuff, right? Like, and you see that in traditional equity as well, where like, let's say like a SaaS, a SaaS company that um, is in a high growth period, right? Like the PE doesn't matter. It's more about the price to sales, right? It's more about what's the year over year growth. Whereas like, you know, if you're looking at a Coca-Cola, you want to know how much how much earnings does it make per year because you want that dividend, right? So I think like different different asset classes of NFTs will be valued different, uh, and yeah, no, they'll be analyzed. I agree. Um, my bad. No, I, I totally agree. It's kind of funny you bring up the growth. Like whenever I feel like whenever you can accurately value something on a fundamental basis, it's probably a mature industry that you're not going to get that much gains in. Like you know, like AWS has been valued based on like its year over year growth on AWS forever, right? Yeah. Like. We're not exactly expecting dividends from that. And frankly, it's been outperforming in the traditional world forever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's 
And G, I sorry for keep going, man, but I have you. Yeah. The um last set of questions for you is just on like the creator coin world, right? Like I'm so bullish on the creator economy. Like you bring the barriers down to nothing. You could have anyone start up their brand and, and get cash flows for their specific work and they have the whole internet to kind of feed them and grow with them. But I feel like to date it's been pretty botched on its delivery, right? Like like I don't exactly see the crypto community, you know, using BitCloud in a big way. I you know, I don't really see a ton of value flows the right way, but that also might not matter right now. What's your take on, I guess, just the creator economy and, and what are people doing right and wrong? I think it's still really early. You know, I think I think that there's definitely demand for it, right? Like if you saw what what happened with BitCloud and how, you know, people were going nuts for the creator coins. And, you know, I, whether or not they did it right or wrong remains to be seen. But I there's a ton of demand for it, right? So there's definitely going to be right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. I do think there's like a huge value add to like having your fans own a not not necessarily all of it, but maybe like a piece of the quote unquote uh, the 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 value accrual of the brand, right? Because then you kind of have this army of people that are like helping you, right, and helping you grow your brand. And I, I haven't, I can't say I've seen anybody like really crush it, but I also haven't been. I don't think I've been paying close enough attention yet, but I've been like circling around it because I think it's something that, you know, I'm not only, not only am I looking it out for myself, but just like, I want to see like as bigger and bigger brands come into the space and they have, let's say a user base that, that they can monetize and, and how they do it without alienating the user base. Right. Because I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what we were just talking about is like, if I'm going to do a drop and I'm going to, you know, just dump it on my fans and just walk away, like you're alienating your user base, right? But if, you know, you have, um, let's say, and there is a blog post that's like, all you need is like 10,000 diehard fans, right? Where it's like, you can you can start a sustainable career with just like a fans of either, it's either 10,000 or 1,000, but it's much smaller than, than we think, right? Because we've been taught uh, for the last 10, 20 years that like, oh, you need to get scale, you need to get scale, you need millions and millions of followers. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Like you just need um, a small group of followers that you know are are avid supporters and you know love your work and you know they're diehards, right? And then from there, the fan base can grow. Whether it grows or not is is irrelevant. But I just think that like we're going to see more and more experiments in the space of how people are using these these communities to kind of help grow the communities faster themselves. Yeah, no, it makes you bring up a really good point for like established brands and those moving to the space. I guess a different question for you though is like the people just starting out, like the 18 year olds, the 19 year olds, the artists, the writers, the musicians that aren't big, right? Do you think that they like emotionally or culturally understand that, you know, their boss is the world? Like, you know, if they screw up, like it's the whole world that's going to hate them and not like them, right? It's not just a boss that, that you could you know, put your two weeks in and hop to the next job. But like, now you're accountable as a creator to the world. Like on, on the flip side, you can get a ton of attraction, give them all upside, ton of liquidity. But on the other side of this, if you screw up, like the world is going to really hate you, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting uh, that you bring that up that like, just, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but just thinking about that reminded me of that one Black Mirror episode where 
Um, we basically had like a social score, right? Where they like, oh man, yeah, you can upload <laughs> or downvote people, and it's like you know, in in a dystopian society, right? Like we're just all all we care about is like what our social score is, and that's kind of what a social token is per se. But I also, I mean, I guess maybe the optimist in me is thinking like, you know, the good that it could do, and like, you know, people are, might be less likely to do bad shit to people. You know, like you're not going to screw people over as much or as willingly if you know it's going to affect your your social token or or whatever right like you might be want to make better decisions uh and they would also just lose a lot of money <laughs> yeah like but yeah and that's besides the monetary factor right but i think with that comes um the realization that uh not only would you lose money in the short term but you'd probably lose on opportunities in the long term right where uh, you and you see it with like a lot of celebrities already, and you know people. You know you. We all know like we all have a an Instagram influencer friend that's like, oh, is that on brand? You know, it's like you know people think about these things, and you know maybe they'll be thinking about it more as there's more of a monetary effect on it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. I I just watched uh, Love, Death, and Robots season two, so I'm still getting through that. Let alone Black Mirror. <laughs> It's uh, it's all good points. Gee, this is awesome, man. We've covered a lot. Is there anything I, I missed or forgot to ask? We went we went all over the place. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I thought this was really comprehensive. I thought your questions were great. I'm looking forward to, you know, to knocking the ball out of the park with you guys and, you know, interviewing and, and talking to as many teams as we possibly can and, and helping push the space forward. Yeah, no, man, we're, we're super excited to have you and work with you and, you know, amped to do this again soon. And just full disclosure for everyone on the pod, Delphi Ventures Investment Syndicate, uh, running and invested in uh, Delphi uh, Infinity with G Money, and uh, I think that's I think that's all on disclosures. We can see the show notes. Uh, G, thanks so much for coming on, man. Awesome, thanks for your time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon. <laughs>